0: So, I think before I start saying anything, I'll do like a really quick intro to the this series that we're doing just now, which is called The Cost, right? So you might have heard Chuck speak on it like three weeks ago, maybe, and then Jude came and spoke on it last week, I think. Doesn't matter. But we're doing a series called The Cost. After Chuck and Taryn came back from their sabbatical, um, they were really convinced that we would love to um, enter into a new, like, season. That's a very cliche Christian phrase, but to move into a new like phase of just having a look again about what it means to be a Christian. Like some of us might have been Christian, a Christian our whole life. Some of us might have been like only a few weeks, but what could, what could be wrong with thinking about what it is to follow Jesus? So that's the series. And because we're talking about the cost it is to be a Christian, I'm just really aware that it could sound like we're speaking and this is just a bunch of stuff that we have to do, right? And um, even as I'm briefly looking at my notes, I'm like, oh no, is this just like a, some pointers to life, right? Some pointers to how to be a good pe- good person or, you know, how to be nice. And I'm so glad that we had that lovely block of worship just there, led by Charlotte, because... It's, it was all talking about grace, wasn't it? It was all talking about what God's done, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. Like, if you don't, yeah, just hear that before we say anything, is that like, he's done it all. It's his grace that makes it possible. It's his, Jesus' death that makes a way, like that even makes it um, a thing. So don't hear, these are just some things that you must do. Hear, this is what God's done. And then we're following it. And anything that we do is our response. That's what I want to say. Cool. So, my name's Ben. Hi. Uh, This is where I come to church. Isn't Catherine, my wife, doing a great job leading the service? Great. Wife. I know. Crazy. So much has changed. Um, And I'm going to speak right now from this book, the Bible. Um, If you've been around our church at all, you'll know that, like, we as a church and as individuals, we're just doing our best to read this and live from it. Um, we think it's worth following because it's about a guy called Jesus, a guy who was born 2,000 years ago in Israel, there you go, And but not just any old guy, he was God, fully man, fully God, um, part of a story of a God who created the world, man, us, humans, chose to do our own thing, um, and there's... It's a long story, but it's a beautiful story. God sends his own son and makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. Again, we have restored relationship with our creator. We have restored relationship with the world, like what he created as well. Um, live in the way that he intended us to live. And the people that Jesus, that guy, Jesus, is addressing in the bit of the Bible that we're reading today, um, they have responded to a call to to follow Jesus and to restore that relationship. Jesus has met them where they're at, what they're doing, at their jobs, most of them, they were just working doing their thing, doing their nine to five, and Jesus met them and he's impacted them in such a way that they've stopped doing that and they have started following him. Um, they've met Jesus, they know what they're for now, they thought they were for one thing, but actually they're for something else. Um, yeah, and he's calling us to do that too. Jesus is saying, come follow me. But it's not cheap. It's not an easy call. Um, He sets it out pretty clearly what it's going to be like. I was thinking about the kind of um, sell one thing, give another, um, when I was watching The Apprentice last week. Any Apprentice fans in the house? Brilliant. That's good enough. I'll take that. Well, they were making ice lollies last week. I'm not spoiling it for anyone, are they? No, No, that's fine. I won't name names. But they were making ice lollies. They were meant to do gourmet ice lollies. So one team thought, brilliant, we'll make a pink, glittery ice lolly, and we'll sell it in a nightclub, and it'll be the coolest thing ever. So they went to this really fancy nightclub in London. They were like, do you want to buy our ice lollies? The thought is it's going to be pink and glittery, and they were like, brilliant, we'll buy, I can't remember, 500. So then they went off, made the product, and came back again to confirm the number that they they were buying. And they'd made this. Does anyone remember Mini Milk's? I said mini milks this week. There you go, a bunch of people. So like a cloudy, milky pink thing. with Apparently the glitter was in there, but you obviously couldn't see it because it was cloudy, not see-through. And the woman just looked at it and she was like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy any of those. Anyway, Jesus doesn't say stuff like that. He's not saying, oh, look, it's going to be really easy, on your calm. And then we all say, yeah. And then he's like, ah, oh, actually, it's really hard. He's not doing that. It's honest. Sometimes the stuff he says is uncomfortable, right? But it's not like easy and nice. It's uncomfortable. And there might be some of us in this room, in our church, who have already responded to Jesus' call. We've been like, yes, I'll follow you. And then sometimes we read stuff and we're like, oh, did he mean that? Like, does he mean it in that way? Um, Or sometimes we want to think, oh, he's just exaggerating or he's using hyperbole. It's a good word. But actually often, yeah. And it's quite easy just to pick the easy bits, right? Just to be like, oh, there's a nice verse. I'll uh, put it on my wall. That's quite nice. Rather than you know, really thrashing out what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's what we're doing. We're doing that as a series where you want to work out what it looks like. Especially in somewhere like lovely Aberdeen compared to maybe somewhere like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, where the cost is just really obvious, isn't it? It's like if you say you're a Christian, you might die. Like, it's a really obvious cost. What, what does the cost look like for us? Um, yeah. And just to say from the start, like, I'm totally wrestling with this too. This isn't like a, yeah, um, I've got it. We're, we're all in this together. So context specifically for this passage, it's quite early days in Jesus' ministry. He's like doing doing stuff, healing people, doing cool stuff. And he has just about gathered the 12 people Twelve, who he calls his disciples. So these are the people that he's met in their day jobs and been like, yeah, come with me, follow me. And they said, yeah. And he's sending them out on mission to, to extend the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying, which is kind of what Chuck touched on two weeks ago, if you remember, this thing, this beautiful thing is a vineyard, this um, theology, like an explanation for God's kingdom. That's what God intends. That's what he wants. Sometimes breaks into... This world, which is not as ideal. God's ideal, breaking into our not so ideal. Um, And Jesus is saying, do that. But he's also saying it's not going to be easy. But that it's worth it because they're bringing God's kingdom in. Cool. Enough chat. Let's get to the Bible. So we're in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. It's like towards the end of it. Chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the ends of the rows. Get one. If you want, or well, get it on your phone. Matthew 12, 10, sorry. Verses, we're going to read verses 16 to 20, and then we're going to skip a few and then go 26 to 39. And uh, it's quite long, so I'm going to take a drink. While everyone finds it. Great. So, Matthew 10, 16 to 20, and then 26 to I've got a coffee on my nose. Here we go. So Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Oh, this is going to be a different translation, but that's okay. Same stuff. It's good. Be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Let me skip ahead to 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the enemies of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wow, wow. So some of that is initially quite hard to hear. It doesn't fill up with like a kind of skipping, carefree glee about life with Jesus. But I do love and really value the honesty of this. Right, that there are to be no surprises when we follow Jesus after listening what what He said. Um, it's also repeated throughout this passage, um, and we will. Talk about this, obviously. Um, Jesus says it a bunch of times as well during his ministry. Don't be anxious. Don't fear. Have no fear. He says that all through this. This is because the Holy Spirit is in you um, and because Jesus is for you. He's on the side of people doing life his way. Um, There is a high call right at the end of this section. um, If you see 38 there. Um, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Which is... like feels very heavy. Jesus is saying there's a cross to bear. He's saying there's a price to pay for following Jesus. There is a cost, but it's worth it. All right. So the first point is that being for something means that you come against other things. So as he's speaking, Jesus doesn't hide the fact that that it might put you against some things. He says that you might come against men. He says that in verse 17, governors or kings in verse 18, family even towards the end and Verses 35 to 37, or even your own life at the end. Says who finds his life will lose it. Um, Reading just that, totally out of context, feels quite daunting, doesn't it? It's just oh, against, against, against. Um, So I try to think of it like this. I really love cycling. It's been one of my favourite things my whole life. Love it. Um, Since I was like tiny, since I could walk, got a little bike, loved it. I get it to, you know, cycle to work, cycle many miles. It's great. And then I get married, right? And I want to share my love of cycling with my wife. And she has a slightly different relationship with bicycles to me. She's not as big a fan as I am or a fan at all, really. And she's actually had quite a traumatic experience on a bike and fell off one and hurt her head, which genuinely, I'm not mocking, was quite traumatic. And that's something that we're working through. That's good. Now, I I really, really want to go cycling with her, right? But imagine if I just sold her all the negatives. Imagine if I said, Catherine, there are going to be some hills that we come across and, you know, they just feel like they go on all the time and they're never, ever going to end. Or I might say something like, Catherine, uh, there are going to be days when the weather's really bad outside and it probably would be nicer to stay inside with a cup of tea and a book. Um, but let's go out and get drenched and, you know, on a bike, actually, you get wet from the top with the rain. You get it from the front because you're moving. You also get it from underneath because the wheels are, like, spinning it back up to you. So you get really wet. Or imagine if I say, hey, your legs are probably going to really hurt because, like, you have to use your legs to cycle. How keen do you think Catherine's going to be in joining me to cycling? Not very keen at all. Well, luckily, that's not how Jesus says it either. He's not just saying the negative. He mentions what we might come across. He's, he, It's like a, a warning so that we're not surprised. But he gives us a why and a reassurance that he's going to be with us. Um, so let's read verses verses 17 and 18. Here they are. You know how when you use a different Bible and everything's just in the, in the wrong place. All the formatting is wrong. So verses 17 and 18. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Jesus is warning his disciples that some people won't react very positively to um, the message that they're bringing. They're they're announcing a kingdom, right? This is the kingdom of God. Um, They're proclaiming that there is a king bigger than the earthly king, more powerful, more in control, more knowing, all this kind of stuff. And that, you can imagine that that's quite unsettling for an earthly king. So they probably are going to have these guys arrested. So to be for something means that you're going to be against something. So what's the for that puts them against the kings and governors? What is the for? It's the selfless servant Jesus follower. You know the whole the, the reversal that comes against a, a selfish, slave-driving, um, not-yet-Jesus follower. It's a striving for righteousness that comes against a, a flesh-pursuing, not-yet-Jesus follower. Um, and this is not to be any sort of like high horse and sneer down at some others who don't know Jesus. I think that Jesus is just saying that that live in this way will or even should clash with the way that the world does things sometimes. Sometimes that might produce really sweet conversations that you guys might relate to along the lines of, "Wow, I love the way you um, parent your kids," or "I love the way that you," I love your work ethic, or "I love the way that you treat others." But oftentimes, it just makes that quite hard. Um, I feel like for some people, as we're reading these words here, um, it, it, it might like bring up stuff that you're feeling against clashes, maybe in relationships in your in your life, either at work or at family. Um, and he wants to assure you that he's with you through that. Um, you're against, but he's with you. Um, and we're going to have a chance to pray later. if if he's, Even as I'm saying there about coming against. Um he definitely wants to just meet you and say that he's with you um in all of that. And we are going to talk a bit about conflict as we carry on. So that's point one. We're gonna come up against some things. Point two, Jesus says don't be afraid. And I had to keep it as an A, so I've just said no afraid. So we've said about how being for means we're against, um but he also says don't be afraid. Um, Jesus' words to his disciples, he says a bunch of times through this passage, is don't be afraid, don't be anxious. But it's not some kind of like heartless, um, I might offend some historians in the room, but um, it's not like this Roman soldier, like this Roman emperor or something, oh, I'm killing it, who like arrives in their, they arrive in their chariot and they're like pristine white toga or whatever they were, and they, sh- you know, they shout to the soldiers like, oh, don't be afraid, you know, be brave, on you go. And, 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 then they, and then they just like run away and they're right at the back and they like hide back with their grapes and you know, like Romans do. This, don't be afraid that Jesus is saying is a deep, personal, don't be afraid. Jesus is assuring his disciples that he goes with them and they're valued by God. Um, so don't be afraid because the Holy Spirit speaks through you. That's cool. In verses 19 and 20, why don't I read it? But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking to you. Jesus is referring to times here when his disciples may be questioned by those in charge um, in Jesus' day, when, as we've read, the punishment is more like flogging than, I don't know, like a fixed penalty notice or something. And you can imagine that that would be quite a stressful experience. That would be quite a horrible thing to be at risk of that horrible punishment. Um, But Jesus is saying that during those times, the Holy Spirit will literally speak through you. Isn't that a relief? When we feel stressed or under pressure in our life, um, there's some kind of conflict or we're just feeling the pressure of other people. Um, Maybe we don't even feel qualified to speak. We're in a situation and we say, I don't have a voice. I can't speak here. Um, but God will speak through us. He does speak through us, he gives us literally words to say. Um yeah, really briefly, I'll mention the time when it happens later in the Bible. That might be like a really foreign thing to you to hear. Um, and I'll kind of paraphrase the story that happens. But it's in Acts three and Acts four, if you wanna read the like Bible version rather than the Ben version. Um, but I promise it's it's in the Bible. Um these guys, Peter and John, they're two of Jesus' disciples. Um, they've been sent by Jesus. This is after Jesus has gone. And they're doing their stuff. They're, they're healing people and speaking. And the leaders, like the religious leaders of the time, they don't really like it, which is exactly what Jesus is warning them of here, right? Peter and John, they get arrested. And they're brought before the top guys of the um, religious leaders of the time. They're like politicians, CEOs, Instagram influencers and academics, like all all mixed into one person. So really influential, really clever, really high, like, whoa, these guys are impressive. Um, And Peter and John, they were fishermen, right, before Jesus has called them. So, like, fishermen, they probably wouldn't have gone to much school. They were really good at fishing, but they wouldn't have, like, probably wouldn't even be able to read. And they are in front of a council of all these big, like, impressive people. Really, like, really clever. They know their stuff, and you can imagine that that would be quite intimidating. Well, Peter and John have been in their ministry, in their about. They've been speaking about new life. They've talked about Jesus being resurrected, so he died and then rose again. And either there's been misunderstanding or miscommunication, or someone's just twisted what they said on purpose, um, or maybe both. Maybe all of that has happened. But the leaders have got the wrong end of the stick, and they've put them in prison. They're asked to explain themselves, you know, why are you saying that? Why is that true? And Peter responds with a really comprehensive response. Like, he goes through the whole history of the Old Testament and talks about um, why, how this had been prophesied that this was going to happen. It's amazing, like, detail, accurate, referred to scripture that, like, the the Hebrew kind of text that the, the leaders would have known, like, inside out. And, and the amazing bit there is that Peter was a fisherman, like, He'd spent lots of time with Jesus, but not had formal education. It's not like Jesus gave him a scholarship to go off to like, Bible college and learn a bunch of stuff. Like He'd spent time with Jesus, and he impressed these leaders. Like He impressed these impressive people. And what was true about Peter as he spoke that, it just says, Peter filled with the Spirit. That's it, filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of us can relate to times when we, it felt like, oh, I did not have the words to say there, but God totally spoke through me. Um, But if that's a new concept to you, and like we were saying earlier, with the um, you might feel some kind of conflict or coming against some stuff, um, we're going to have a time to pray about that and ask God to help you speak in the situations. Or um, maybe it feels like you don't feel qualified to speak in a certain situation, like you're not um, valued or you're not um, worth that. Um, But the other reason Jesus says you shouldn't be afraid is because you're valued. Um, He says towards the end here, this might be quite familiar to people, but it says, verse 31, fear not, you are more valuable than sparrows, many sparrows. Um, there's some truth in verses 29 and 30, um, which confirms that, you know, God's sovereign. He's He's in control. I'll read 29 and 30. Sorry, we're jumping a bit. So he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So a sparrow in their day was like, it basically meant worthless, like, the smallest little bird the cheapest little thing that you could buy not much meat on it you know they don't really sound that good either if you're a bird song fan but apparently people are so really worthless but they're so cheap you, oh you can buy two for a penny it says wow really cheap yet not one of them so half a penny's worth of sparrow falls to the ground outside your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered so God's saying he's in control so much that even those tiny worthless things, he knows what's happening to them. And you are so much more valuable than that. You as um, a human, you as a, a son, a daughter of God, are so much more valuable than that. So if God's in control of the cheapest little sparrow, then He's he's got you. How much more does he care about you? How much more is he in control of, of your situation? What's going on? There is value on your life. There's a plan. Um, not just a plan to like get through but a plan to thrive um, yeah and that's like a that's a backing on you like as you speak in those situations that we're talking about that kind of clash they're coming against um, so for us in first world Aberdeen not under any kind of um, immediate obvious threat we're unlikely to get flogged for what we believe um, physically um, our lives aren't in danger imminently um, but this is still God-breathed, though it's still relevant to us. Um, and I think the point for us, or the point that I'm going to make um, from it, is in the relationships we have. Verse 17, when it speaks about coming against men, that might be our colleagues at work, like people, our friends. Um, verse 18 speaks about kings, governors, um, that might be our bosses, like people who are in charge to us, of us. Um, we're to witness to them, knowing that, that there might be a cost there. Um, a cost of being a bit uncomfortable, having some awkward conversations maybe, Um, but that's the message that we've responded to. Uh, This is a message of of new life. It's a message of of God's kingdom advancing, that God's ideal breaking into this world's not so great. And we have influence too, like in all our places. Um, Sometimes it might not feel like it, but in all our relationships, we have influence. Um, And how we influence people is can be our attitude so that's the third point we're, we're saying our attitude can influence those around us how we live as followers of jesus um, so if we go right back to the start we're going to look at um how jesus says his disciples should be um what they should expect so he says in verse 16 there. i'm the first half i am sending you out like sheep among wolves um and I don't know if you've ever seen a nature documentary about wolves, but they are pretty savage. They don't really care. You know, they don't have feelings about what they're attacking. They don't like apologize to the the thing before they rip it apart. Um, they're always really hungry and like mad. Um, and Jesus is saying that us as his followers are being sent out to those wolves as sheep and also sheep, harmless like not offensive at all unable to protect themselves and it doesn't seem like it's going to end very well for the sheep like it's just a one way street um and it says but it still says something initially about how we should be as followers of Jesus Jesus's call for us to bring his kingdom or to to change the world is a very countercultural um like not worldly way of doing it um which would make sense because God's not of this world right it's a Last will become first, Jesus says that later, and a servant king that's how Jesus was described way of of changing the world um, it's not a money and fame and rules kind of change it's like a sacrificial serving selfless, humble kind of change, but Jesus doesn't just stop there he doesn't just say you're out as sheep, sheeps sheep among wolves and oh, it's going to be terrible he's saying, yes, the way that you live will look different to um, other people, no one sees a sheep and thinks, oh, is that a wolf or a sheep? Like it's pretty obvious that it's a different thing, and it's not savage and hungry and got sharp teeth. What's Little Red Riding Hood? I should have mentioned that, but I didn't. But it feels like a loaded, loaded fight on the wolf side. It feels like it's only going to go one way. Um, but he carries on. He gives us some advice. End of verse 16. Um, it says, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as those I think it said something else on that, but that's fine in I thought it was really interesting that um, Jesus uses serpent right it speaks about a snake um, as as to how Jesus followers should be and I actually had a bit a bit of a revelation in preparing for this I'm not going to go into it because it's a bit boring but I'll speak about it later if you want to Um and ultimately, because I had this impression that a snake is like a bad thing, right? A snake is the one that tells Eve to do the bad thing. And that's what made, it's all the snake's fault, which is actually kind of removing blame from us as humans. Which, anyway, I'll, I'll speak about it later because it's not relevant to what this is. But ultimately, a snake is not a bad thing, right? God created snakes. And it says, before he says the thing to, to Eve, that in Genesis, the snake was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. So the serpent, the snake kind of becomes a picture of of using your head when Jesus is using it here to say, You're, you should be like this. Um, it's using your head. It's thinking about stuff. It's not giving loads of room to be offended or um, irritated or provoked all the time um, unless it's like justified. And God's made us with heads to think like we have... Logic, we have um, wisdom, I guess, from like past experience. We we know how stuff goes, um, but at the same time, as being like a snake, or that way, like a snake, Jesus encourages those following him to maintain the innocence or like the harmlessness, that a word, of a dove. Um, we aren't to be like crafty and like sneaky, like a snake. Um, our motivation is to be good and humble um, because it's not about us. Gosh, that's very loud. That's my timer. So I'll wrap up. <laughs> um, it's not about us, but because we're like Jesus, our attitude is like sheep, but he's made us with minds to avoid traps. Uh, uh, being for Jesus and following him should make our attitudes... Uh, sentence doesn't make sense. Being for Jesus and following him should look like our attitudes change it. Um, So that we can be better friends, we can be better colleagues, we can be better wives or husbands, we can be better employees, employers, better parents, brothers, mentors, um, all the relationships that you are, all the things that you are to other people. Um, And as our attitude influences those around us, um, God's kingdom breaks in, like we are carriers of that kingdom. Um, And as we bring that kingdom in, that's great. So, just to finish, like, verse 37 seems like, seems to contradict our talk about attitudes and influence and relationships, right? It says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, is Jesus saying that, like, if we love our family or love our colleagues, then that's a bad thing? Dramatic pause. No. No. He's not, he's not saying that loving others is bad. He's not saying that loving our relationships is bad. But he is saying that loving those relationships or loving those people more than him is bad. He's not saying to neglect our, our duty or our esteem or our respect or responsibility even towards relatives. Um, but he is saying if you prefer receiving instruction from your, like, your parents or those parent, superiors, parental figures, over instructions from Jesus... That's not really following him. I'm big to myself here too. He is saying that if you love your child or you love someone that you're over more than Jesus, then you probably aren't following him. This isn't to condemn or to judge, but just to call us to higher levels of loving Jesus. You know, he's not, Jesus wasn't sent to condemn us, to judge us. Like he's not saying this stuff just to make us feel bad. Um, he's just calling us deeper. Like he wants us to love him more. What's sweet is that this isn't a decision of our will. Like, right, this isn't a decision of our will. Like I was saying at the start, it's not like a, oh, brilliant, I'll make some points and I'll choose to love Jesus more. But actually, this is a new birth. Like, when we become a Christian, we're, we're new. We accept this transformation of of what we value, what's important. Like, our priorities change. Um, yeah, that's what happens when we say yes to Jesus' call of following me. Um, and then. Really quick. Being worthy of Jesus when he's saying that. That, I feel like sometimes we hear of like, it's a deserving thing, right? You hear Jesus saying, those people aren't worthy of me. It's not like they don't deserve me. Um, it's not about what we do. It's not about um, our works, but it's who we become when we follow Jesus. Um, that might be helpful. That might not Might not be. Um, a bunch of the stuff that I've said this morning feels maybe a bit heavy. It feels like an extremely high call, right? Jesus is setting the bar, like, high. And, like, I've, I've read it, and I feel like that's what Jesus is calling out of this Bible passage. Um, but we know that bundled up with this high call, like I've said, it's not about works. It's not about us, like, striving for this thing. Um, but with this high call is his presence, like, he meets us, his power. Like he works through us, his mercy that covers us, his grace that covers us.